Woo! Can we take another moment to celebrate all of those who got baptized last week? Some of you may be in the house right now, and we celebrate you. That was an amazing time for us to have last week. Look, I am so excited to be here with you today to break open the Word of God. I want to thank you guys for sharing your pastors with us a couple of Sundays ago. Pastor Mo was at the Norcross campus and he brought the word. So much so, I think he might have snatched a few Norcross members <laughs> while he was there. I see y'all. But it doesn't matter what room of the house you're in, we are excited that you are a part of the house. Well, for some reason, if you happen to not know what today is, even after Pastor Mo said it several times, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And for those who are watching online, we celebrate you guys. You know, I would thank my kids for making me a mom. But when I think about it, they actually had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it, was, it was God, it was their dad, and it was me. But, uh, and then there was them, but they are a blessing to my life, and I thank God for giving them to me. Speaking of blessing, there is another soon-to-arrive blessing baby moment who had a little something to do with while I'm here, uh, but we figured it would be best just in case baby Maximus decided to make his debut that we sit him on the sidelines today. I think he's already been a part of enough debuts in the past couple of months that most of us will ever be a part of in our life. He was along for the ride when his parents published their latest books. He was along for the ride when his parents were published on two separate editions of the Avail magazine. Now, how your mama and your daddy? going to be on separate covers of magazines. And he was there when you got the keys to your new building. There's a lot of firsts that this little one has been a part of. So watch out world. Look out demons. There is a stirring in the belly of a moment that has begun to pioneer pathways for people and the body of Christ awaits you Maximus. So a special Mother's Day to you, Pastor Kendra. I do acknowledge that there are some people in here whose Mother's Day is just not as happy of a day. And sometimes we think it takes the sting off a little bit by not saying anything. But I found that being quiet about something doesn't mean that it's still not speaking loud in our life. And if life is speaking loud, then I believe that the Lord has called us to not be quiet, but to comfort those around us, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. So you want to say to all the people in the building who have lost their moms, whose mom have, uh, mothers who have lost children, women who have lost fathers to their children, today is hard for you, maybe, but we're here with you. And I want to encourage you that whatever got you here, I want you to hold on to it because God is here for you. And we believe if God is here, that is enough. So a very, very blessed Mother's Day to you. 
but we've been in a series for the past couple of weeks called Church Face. And we've experienced messages that has caused us to have facelifts. For some of us, we've some of us we've had some makeovers. And for others of us, we've just had to take our face off. This is what the message has done to our life. And I believe that God wants to continue to reconstruct our lives today. And he wants us to find freedom in three areas that we're going to talk about. He wants us to find freedom from comparison because he values us. He wants us to find freedom from competition because he's already won us. And he wants us to find freedom from condemnation because he affirms us. How many of you want to be free today? Galatians 5 and 1, it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Listen. God is very simple in his word. The reason why he set you free, are you ready? Is so that you can be free. There is no coincidence that there is another scripture that says, whom the son sets free is free indeed. So the Lord is very outright with our freedom. And if there is anything in our life that does not feel free, it does not look free. It's probably not the freedom that God has called you to walk in. If you are feeling bondage in any area of your life, that is not freedom. If you are feeling shackled and in in, uh, being controlled by anything in your life, that is not freedom. But God has come to set us free. Free from comparison because he values us. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 says this. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves, are not wise. Again, Lord says, it is for freedom that I have set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He's very clear and plain. And then he says, for anybody who is walking a life of comparison and measuring yourself against each other, this is what he says to you. You are not wise. I love how the scripture is so simple, yet it reaches the depths of our soul if we will allow the word of God to really speak to our lives. So we want to talk about a couple of things that are not wise. Have you ever started browsing the internet with good intentions? And about 20 minutes into browsing, uh, you begin to wonder, after comparing yourself to what they've done and seeing what they've done and hearing about what they've done, you begin to question what you've done for the past 20 years of your life. Ever start browsing the internet with bad intentions? But we're talking about church faith, so it's actually bad intentions masked in good intentions. And we search for someone because we really admire them, and we really want to see what God is speaking to them. We want to see what word God has placed in their life. We want to see all the things that God has done in their life. 
But what we really are doing is comparing where they are in their life to where I am in mine. Let's say you stumble across Wikipedia that just so happens to, happens to have a list of things that they've accomplished in their life, and you look at their age. Now, if they're older than you, you don't feel so bad because you feel like you have time to catch up. But don't let them be younger and seemingly more successful. You will begin to have a self-interrogation. You will ask yourself 57 questions as to why you're here, why you're not there, but you were supposed to be here. They are here, but I thought you were searching the internet. Bad intentions masked with good intentions. Listen to this. The act of humility to supposedly make the voices of our inadequacies inferior has actually become a measuring rod to, to make ourselves feel superior. Somebody say not wise. Don't allow what could be to become what should be. And because it's not your reality, you begin to believe that you'll never be able to live up to a standard that God has never even set for you. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced Pastor Kendra's post on social media of all the dinners that she cooks for at Mobis. <laughs> oh, those dinners look so good. They're so good. I, I looked at a couple of the plates that she posted, and I, I almost took a bite out of my computer. It looked so, it looked so good. And I was so inspired, I felt like I needed to level up my life. So I reached out to her and said, hey, uh, let me get some of those recipes. And she did not withhold. She was willing and ready to bless my life. She didn't say, go Google your own recipes. She didn't say, my mama gave me this recipe. You can't have it. She was willing to bless my life. So I got the recipe. <laughs> I went to the grocery store, and it probably was one of her simple recipes that she gave me. She probably was like, let me help this girl out. Took it to the grocery store, looked at the ingredients. Some of those ingredients, I'm convinced, can only be found in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I don't even know what this is. And then my family loves to eat, so I had to change the portions of which she gave me. You remember the uh, story of uh, the two fish and five loaves of bread and how Jesus multiplied it? That's exactly what my, my dinner looked like once I was done. My kids were so complaining after about a week of leftovers. And I started fussing at them. I'm like, y'all sound like the children of Israel complaining about manna. And then I realized if, if the things in your life are falling apart and you keep slapping scriptures on top of them, you got to ask yourself, is this something that God is requiring of you? or you have required of yourself, or if God is really just trying to inspire you to be who he has called you to be and do what he has called you to do. So I came to myself, almost like the prodigal son did when he was far away from the father's home, and then the Bible says, and he came to himself. Somebody say, I came to myself. See, some of us have to have some moments of realization where we have to realize why God put people in our lives. 
Did God put people in your life to be like them? Or did he put people in your life to inspire you to operate in the gifts that he has called you to operate in? Did he put people in your life to remind you that the gifts that you see them operate in freely are the same gifts, maybe different gifts, but gifts that I have given you to operate in according to the things that I have called you to? So then I came to myself and I was realized, I realized this thing and it freed my life. I realized that God was not requiring me to cook like Pastor Kendra. God was requiring me to eat like Pastor Kendra. Come on, Holy Ghost. I stopped asking her for recipes and I started asking her for plates. Because I wanted to help emancipate greatness in her life. I wanted to be able to give her the opportunity to flourish in what God has given her the opportunity in. God has given her the gift to cook. God has given me the gift to eat what she cooks. So instead of comparing ourselves, we need to be able to embrace, embrace the things that God has placed around us. God has placed pieces of himself in each of us. And he has called us to be in community so that we can experience the full expression of who he is. So let's celebrate and acknowledge the gifts around us. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 20 through 27, and I'm going to summarize it. It talks about uh, us being different parts of the body and how we play different parts of the body. Neither one of them are uh, more important than the other, but they all are necessary to operate in the place that God has designed them to operate in. Sometimes I find that we disqualify ourselves based on other people's gifts. We disqualify ourselves because we look at what someone else has achieved. We look at the degrees that they have, how many books that they've written. We look at how successful they are in their life, in their life and sometimes we disqualify ourselves because we assume that God must really want to use that person. Even if we are standing in front of an open door and we are the only one in front of the door, we will still count ourselves out and say, this can't be for me. Because we're too busy comparing ourselves to other people. Now, there are parts of our body that are very important. But that does not mean that they are called to operate in certain places. I would say the brain and the heart of our body are very, very important parts of our body. And the brain is pretty smart. But if you take the brain and place it on a foot to operate as a toe, we going to die. <laughs> and the body of Christ has been suffering because we have placed our gifts in places that God has not called them to operate in, and we all are feeling the effects of it. How many of us want to recognize the gift that God has placed us in and operate in those gifts? 2 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, we will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given. You know, a lot of times we make the statement, 
uh, go be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's a beautiful statement because we need to go be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need people to walk in the paths that God has created them to walk in. We need people to work in ministry with their hands and lay hands on people so that they can be healed. But somebody needs to be the eye. Like we need to say, go be the eye of Jesus. Go be the belly button of Jesus. There are some things we don't even know why God placed them there. But we have to understand that when people begin to operate in what God has called them to operate in, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his ways are higher than our ways. And he just calls us to celebrate and embrace the gifts that he has placed around us. And somewhere down the line, comparison has called us to doubt our ability and question God's credibility. Like, God, do you... Do you really mean what you say about me? According to Jeremiah 1 and 5, Jeremiah was having an encounter with God, and God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is what God said to Jeremiah, and he's saying the same things in our life. He's reminding us of who he is, who we are in him, and what he has given us to operate in. But like Jeremiah, we declare who God is with our words of praise, but we worship our inadequacies by how we respond to God. Jeremiah says this in verse 6. He says, alas, sovereign Lord. So he acknowledges that God is supreme, that he has the supreme authority and the final say. But then he follows it with, I do not know how to speak. Boy, are you talking? <laughs> like it's funny that we can actually be operating in the very thing that God needs to use for us to operate in these different places that he has called us to. And somehow we convince ourselves that we can't do what we already are doing. And then Jeremiah was like, okay, point. But I'm too young. We always have an excuse as to why we can't do what God has called, is called us to do. Now, what I do appreciate about Jeremiah is he did not have on the church face. In front of God, he was like, look, this is me. This is my weaknesses, even though I know you formed me, but I still deal with these certain things. So that's one of the things we can absolutely learn from Jeremiah. When we are not real with our weaknesses and not open to exposing our vulnerabilities, we don't allow God into our insecurities because we're too busy trying to find security in the idol of our own image. And we idolize our image by proving, pleasing, and posing. And we would rather our image be protected and hidden rather than our hearts be exposed and healed. Can you imagine having a personal encounter with God and not be able to see beyond yourself and you can only see your inadequacies? Like we have God right in front of us, but we only can see us. 
And it doesn't take long to convince myself that what you see is what you get. That maybe I am my mistakes because I see them. I see my flaws. My eyelash look like it's coming off a little bit. I see my uh, insecurities. And if I look close enough, I see you too. I see your expressions. I see you waving at me. Hopefully somebody's not asleep. And we begin to be framed by what we see in ourselves and what we think other people see in us. And we begin to be formed by their opinions. And we begin to be formed by the things that are around us. And God is telling us to put down the mirror. Have you ever been around somebody who spends just too much time in the mirror? There does come a point where we need to do a self-check. But if you spend too much time in the mirror, then it's not about necessity, it's about obsession. And so the Lord is wanting us to put down the mirror and pick up something a little better than that. It's a frame. Because see, in a frame, I can't see myself. I'm forced to look at a God who can see me. Because in this frame, I dealt with insecurities, but in this frame, I am secure in him. In the mirror, I dealt with weaknesses, but in this frame, in him, I am strong. This frame allows me to be seen how God sees me. It allows me to be seen in the image of God, the imago Dei, the image and the likeness of God. You know, I always wondered why people spend so much money for simple pieces of artwork. Very simple pieces of artwork. So I was going to show you guys a couple of them, but I was like, nah, that's not necessary. They're so simple. I'm going to explain them to you, and I want you to picture them in your head. The first one, I want you to picture a blank canvas, and I want you to paint it red. That's it. That's it. The painter of that particular painting, he called it blood red mirror. It don't even make sense. It sold for $1.1 million. I got another one for you. I want you to picture a blank, a blank canvas. And I want you to scribble uh, five rolls of scribbles on it. Some of you are asking, what? How do I do? It looks just like that. <laughs> exactly like that. They called this one Untitled. They called it, I don't even have a name for it. <laughs> and they sold it for $2.3 million. <sighs> Last one. All right, so I want you to pick a crayon box. I want you to pick out of the crayon box every color that does not go together. We're going to pick out white and black. Okay, this is not about culturals. We are a reconciled, we are a reconciled church. I'm not talking about cultures. I'm talking about colors in the crayon box, okay? So we pick out colors that don't go together. White, brown, yellow, red, gray, pewter. We got all the ones that don't go together. Now I want you to 
throw them on the canvas. Some of you are asking, in what form? Thrown. <laughs> they titled it number five. Number five sold for $161.7 million. I'm like you, it don't make sense. I'm trying to, first of all, I had to repent because I got upset with my kindergarten teacher for throwing away my scribbles. I got upset with my mama for telling me to color within the lines. I could have been a millionaire in the first grade. I could not imagine, it just didn't make sense why people would pay the money that they paid for a painting until it was time for my canvas to be bought. And sometimes I don't understand how Christ could pay so much for this. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's just blank. I'm lost. I don't have... I feel like I don't know where to go. I don't know where up and down is. I don't know the difference. Sometimes I feel depressed, deal with anxiety, I'm dealing with broken relationships. My kids didn't turn out how I thought they would turn out, and I'm dealing with regret. I'm dealing with blame. And all of this... God still looks at this painting and he sees this one drop of blood. That's all it took. He sees one drop of blood. He recognized the blood of his dear son and he calls me a child of God. He calls me number one because I'm the one he left the 99 for. And he bought us at a ridiculous price. And we are well, well worth it. There are three things that determine value. Three things that determine value. And I want you to always remember yourself in this canvas. The three things that determine value is what someone is willing to pay for it. When two or more are willing to bid for it. Or if the painter or the one who has been painted has died. That's what determines value. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are worth what Christ was willing to pay, and he paid it all. When we look at ourselves and we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others, what we are doing in essence is forgetting the value that God placed on our life. Sometimes we look at our life as if God took a 90% off sticker. I said 90% because you're supposed to pay your 10% tithe, so at least he didn't do 100%. 90% off sticker, put it on you, put you on the back rack of a going out of business sale. And what we forget is that he paid full price for us. Like the, the kind of price you pay before it even hits the market kind of price. Remember what he said in Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I formed you and I knew you. And at that point, when you, when you were just a thought in his mind, he paid the ultimate 
price for you. We can be free from comparison because he values us. We can be free from competition because he has won us. Exodus 14 and 14 says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you. Look, there's no competition. When we find ourselves competing against others in any area, it's because we first misunderstand that there is a fight that's far greater than the flesh that we are looking at. You think you're competing against the other person, but there is a war that is going on in the heavens, and God has already won this fight. And all he's requiring you to do is just hold your peace. It's like him going into the battle, and then he sits you on the side and says, I want you to stand still, I want you to be here, and just hold this peace, and I'm going to fight for you. And what some of us have found ourselves doing when we compare and compete and we doubt God is we take our peace that we're supposed to hold on to and we lay it to the side. And some of us run into battle to fight, and the one thing that God gave us to fight with was peace and a stance to stand still. And we've, we've left our biggest weapon. Some of us have misunderstood, hold my peace. Whenever you compete with someone else, you're saying to them, hold my peace. You're giving your peace away. Some of us have misunderstood, hold my peace for the old school. <laughs> you know, when you were getting ready to be in a fight, not y'all, just the people that I knew. And then they'll say, you know what, hold this. And then they'll, they'll get in a fighting stance, right? It, it normally starts with, you know what, or what you say, or what, and then you go into a fighting stance. That's how some of us have positioned our life when we give our peace away, when we try to fight for ourselves. We have misunderstood, hold my peace. We've misunderstood it. And the Lord is calling us to take a different stance. Exodus 14, 13 says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What determines value is when two or more are in a bidding war. Listen, there's a war going on between heaven and hell, and the price at stake is you. Can you imagine what it looks like? at an auction and Christ our Savior against Satan is in a bidding war for you. And so of course Satan, he's ready for it. And he thinks the auctioneer is going to start off like this. Can I get 1,000? Can I get a 2,000, 3,000, 10,000? Can I get... And the Lord is like, boy, this ain't that kind of bid. This ain't that kind of... See what that kind of bid is, is a cow bid. And that's actually how he looks at you. When he sees you in this frame, he doesn't understand your value. And he doesn't understand the auction that he's actually at. This particular auction is a prestigious auction. It's one that's called an art auction. It's one where the Lord takes his time and describes who you are. He takes his time and describes you as a child of God. 
He takes his time to describe you as a high possession in his eyes. He takes his time to describe you as beautifully and wonderfully made. And what the enemy does is because he thinks he can win you, he holds up his own bidding paddle. He holds it up high, he holds it up fast because he feels like he can hold your, your past over you. He feels like he's won you because he can remind you, still the mirror, he can remind you of your flaws. He can remind you of your failures. And he figures if I can just get them to see who they really are, I can probably get them to curse the day they were born. I'll get their faith to waver in God. And he really feels like he's got you. But then there is a God who believes. A God who believes that you will not curse him in the crisis. A God who believes that no matter what he throws towards you, that you will bless him. That you will say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. A God who knows that you will never let anything separate you from him. And then Jesus looks at Satan and he throws up the cross. And the auctioneer doesn't have a choice but to say sold to the highest bidder. You have been bought with a price. God has paid the ultimate price for you. You have to know that you are one and you are worthy. And some of us have to be reminded about a power that the Lord has placed in us called the Word of God. So anytime the enemy tries to show you the mirror, you need to hold up the cross that God has given you, which is the Word of God. You need to hold it up in high regard over your life. And you need to declare to him just like Jesus declared to him, it is written, man should not live by bread alone. It is written, I am a child of God. We've got to be able to hold up that paddle. We can be free from competition because he's won us. We can be free from condemnation because he has affirmed us. Romans 8, 1 through 2, and we've heard it the past uh, couple of weeks, and it's worth hearing again. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You have been set free. The voice of condemnation says you have missed your opportunity. You're too old. That wasn't good enough. You're not good enough. But I want to ask you a question. When did good stop being enough? Because I'm reminded of a God who can take my little and multiply into much. I'm reminded of a God who can take the things that, in, that are in me that are just good and he can make them great because he is great. But good is good enough. We've got to remember that we sing it all the time. He is a good, good father. We've got to remember that when he created this earth and he stepped back every day, he looked at it and he said it was good. He says, he who finds a wife finds a good. Good is not so bad. Good actually can be enough. What is enough? It doesn't, it doesn't take much for enough to be enough in God. Enough in God is giving your 10% of your first increase. 
That's all. Enough in God is presenting you just as you are. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Enough is, what do you have in your hands? That's enough for God. Enough could be, man, I made it. My, my spirit is willing, but my flesh came in crawling, but I made it. If you only knew what it took for me to put one leg off the bed and one foot on the floor and one foot in front of the other. If you only knew the tears that I cried. Not last night. The ones I cried right in the parking lot before we got in here. But I'm here and God says that's enough. Whatever you have is enough. Whatever education you have is enough. Whatever is in your bank account right now is enough. God will take our lack. He will put his more than enough on it. And he will bless it to be just exactly what's needed for him to operate in our lives. What determines value is when the painter or the one being painted has died. Because Jesus was willing to lose it all for our sake, we have to be willing to lose everything for the sake of the cross. We've got to be willing to lose it all. Why? Because no matter what you've got, God can make it work. He can make it work. Romans says he can take all of, all of these things and he can make it work for your good. But we've got to die to ourselves. We have to take this mirror and we've got to put it down. We've got to understand that what we see is not what we get in God. That he's able to take our little and he can make it much. Listen. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have to continue to die to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15 and 31 says we have to die daily. Listen, you have to keep dying until you take your last breath. Less of me, more of him. There's a scripture that I've been reading throughout this message that I want to point out to you the words that God is saying over you. And in your heart, as you hear these words, I want you to lay that mirror down. And I want you to pick up the frame that God wants you to step in and walk in and be proud to walk in it. Because he sees you like this, Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. And I'm going to call out these words to you. I want you to hear the Lord speaking value over your life. He says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He chose you. You're holy. Without blame. You're predestined. You're adopted as his sons. You're accepted. You have redemption. 
He's given you the forgiveness of sins. You've obtained an inheritance. You are predestined. You are sealed because you are his purchased possession. That's the word of God, y'all. Look, if you're in the building and you've never given your life to Christ because the things in the mirror just look too real, and you're wondering how can a God pay any price for someone like you. If you've never given your life to Christ, listen to me. God bought you when you were just a thought in his mind. He paid a price for you before you ever put anything on the canvas. He said it doesn't matter what this canvas looks like. Doesn't matter how messed up it is. Doesn't matter how simple it looks. I have already paid the price, and he has paid the price for you. So if you're in this building and you've never given your life to Christ, today is not just the day. Today is your day. And if you want to live in a frame, I want you to lift your hands. Lift your hands to God. And as you lift your hands, I want you to hear the angels saying in heaven, you have been bought with a price. Your soul and your seal. If you're in the building and you found yourself comparing yourself to other people, competing against other people, and you find yourself looking in the mirror because all you've seen is you, and sometimes you lose the sight of what God is saying to you. But if that is you, and you're in the building, and you want to put down that mirror and pick up the frame and how he's framed you, I want you to lift your hands. God has paid the ultimate price for you. He sees you and he has paid the ultimate price for you. I want to pray over you. And after I pray, I want the worship team to sing this song over you so that you can be reminded that God is enough. That he takes you just like you are. And he says you're enough. Lord, I thank you so much. For everybody in the building, I thank you so much for those who have laid down the mirror picked up this frame I thank you Lord God because we're in a place where we no longer want to be known by our own decisions we don't want to be known by our insecurities but we want to be known by you I thank you Lord that you look at us and you see victory you look at us and you see redemption you look at us and you see the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for purchasing us when it didn't seem like we were worth it. But you are reminding us that we are worth it because you are enough. Let's worship God in that moment.